0: And welcome to Recovery 360, the podcast dedicated to exploring the pathways to treatment and recovery, brought to you by Recovery Centers of America. I'm Lorraine ballard Moral Director of News and Community Affairs for iHeart Media, Philadelphia, and I am joined by Tony Luke Jr. Hey, Tony. Hi, Lorraine. How's it going on this journey towards better understanding the world of healing and the many ways individuals find their way to recovery?
1: Another great episode. I feel it.
0: So today we're joined by Jay Rodenbush, Director of Alumni Engagement, Bob Wedby, Senior Alumni Coordinator and in Recovery, Pete Vernick, Vice President of Mental Health Services, all from Recovery Centers of America. Today we're going to be talking about those early days of recovery, the many ways in which individuals navigate the very tough beginning process of recovery. The path to recovery does not end when you leave treatment. So I wonder if you can talk about life after treatment. You know, you've gotten into your treatment and everything's going great,
2: but that's not where it ends, right? Sure. I can go ahead. You know, I think at RCA, it's really important for us. We don't just say thanks for coming. You did 30 days or or 20, you know, however long your treatment was and and wish them well. But we really want to be that lifeline, and especially in that first year. I think that's so important. Um, so we just create resources and education, not only for the alum, but for their family and their loved ones. Um, so it, it becomes that lifeline and that connection to the recovery community. Keep.
3: So much of recovery is a process of relearning. So people relearning how to socialize, relearning how to have fun, relearning how to relax and do all of these things uh, substance-free. So you know, for many people who get into recovery, that is one of the main tasks of that first year of recovery early on is being able to reestablish and in some cases establish for the first time these healthy behaviors, these uh, activities in sobriety with a, uh, a group of others who are either like-minded or who are going to uh, be supportive of their continued uh, sobriety.
0: And Bob, what, what are your thoughts on that as well?
4: I think early recovery is the most um, important time in a person's growth. I believe it's a rebirth or, you know, recalibration of life, a change of perspective. I think that's really, really important. And just to be open-minded to the idea that change is something that we want to embrace, Uh, the idea that this recovery journey I'm on is something I'm going to be on for a lifetime and be excited about the growth inherent in that and to be able to, you know, just Work through the situations that I've had in my life that maybe have held me back, um, make my peace with them, um, come to terms with it, and then move forward in a positive fashion.
1: Bob, can you please tell us about your first year of recovering? What were some of the physical and physiological challenges you faced in the early stages of recovery, and how well did you deal with them?
4: That? That's that's a great question. So, um, physically, it was actually. I gained a lot of weight, to be honest with you, um, and um, sleep was tough. You know, my, my body had been used to chemicals for so long that the cessation of that was really, there was a transition phase, for lack of a better word of that. And then physiologically, I suffered from a lot of guilt and, you know, psychologically, um, a lot of guilt association associated with some of the things I had done. I'm truly blessed to have a great sponsor. I met my sponsor while I was still in treatment. He came in there and he helped me out. And um, I guess for me, the idea that I I sometimes went, uh, you know, kicking and screaming, but I ultimately kind of did what he had asked me to do. Also, connecting to a fellowship of like-minded individuals, the relatability of peer-to-peer communication is so powerful in any problem that we're having. So the idea that I don't have to do this my own, don't isolate no more, and just, you know, get get out there and learn the process, it's – You know, to me, recovery is not about how much I know is what am I trying to accomplish each and every day. So for me, it was about setting up new coping skills and a new structure in my life that allowed me to stay in line with what my goals were.
0: That first year of sobriety is so critical, right? How do you support, uh, create support systems like family and peer support? How do they contribute to success in those early days of recovery?
3: Well, we keep coming back to family, and I think that that's no coincidence, how important the family is in uh, getting help, in the effects that it has on the family, and also in recovery. So being able to have somebody to turn to, having somebody who the individual is able to reach out to, talk to somebody there to listen, and oftentimes these are family members. They can be others, uh, friends, other loved ones, but building that strong community of support is one of the critical elements of early being early on in treatment and in recovery during that first year so that uh, somebody doesn't have to go it alone. There's a lot of supports when somebody's in an inpatient program, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But once somebody leaves that program and they start to go back to their life, having people they can call that they can talk to who are going to be there for them is is so critical.
2: I think that's very much key. It's your first year of sobriety, but it's also a year of firsts. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be your first Thanksgiving sober. Your first Christmas sober, your first New Year's, and it's also your family's first year of having you at the table sober, mm-hmm. and they need to know: Is it okay? Do we serve our typical beverages at, at the holidays? And so, a lot of education goes into this, and creating an opportunity for families to get together, and, and that's what we do at the alumni association: is we host about a hundred sober events and those are in a given year, and those are open to family. They're open to the community, so you can come maybe to our facilities or to a fun place where you can just meet other families who are going through what you're going through, meet other couples, see people with their children and how they're talking to their families about mom or dad getting well. And it's a powerful, really powerful group of individuals.
0: Jay, I think you bring such an important message there in that, when someone is in recovery, family and friends don't often know the right words. Mm-hmm. I know that in my experience, I had a friend or have a friend who's in recovery for alcohol use. Mm-hmm. And I brought in, she was having a little get together and I brought in a case of beer. And then I I, I just slapped mm-hmm. my forehead and I said, what was I thinking? Yeah. But it's not, no one told me. What do you do? How do you act Mm -hmm. in a situation like that where you really want to be supportive, but you have to to really know what are the things that are acceptable, what are not? I mean, in in her case, she said, no worries. You Mm -hmm. know, everyone else can have beer. That's fine. Mm -hmm. You shouldn't feel uh, restricted about what you can do around me. But maybe for some other people, that wouldn't be exactly appropriate. So talking to the family, preparing them. To have the words to say or the actions to
2: commit to sounds like it's really critical. Absolutely. And and just being able to ask the questions. What do you need? Uh, I'm coming to your house. What can we do to support you? Mm-hmm. And just being open about the conversations. I think that's part of reducing the stigma that has gone along with this disease is just being willing to say, how can I help? And I, th- I think that's powerful. Yeah. In recovery when people are just willing to say, how can I help? And then the individual in recovery can say, yeah, this is exactly what I need.
1: It's communication is very important Mm -hmm. because there is a, there is a line that you have to be cognizant of when you're going to a party or going to a get together with someone that you know is in recovery. The idea of going out of your way to make sure you're not bringing anything of an alcoholic nature can also have an alternate effect on signaling them mm-hmm. out and making mm-hmm. them feel that they're the reason that no one can enjoy themselves mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. of what I'm do, you know, so it's critical communication because if it is the very beginning of recovery and there is an event like that, then that individual has to decide mm-hmm. am i do I want to mm-hmm. go to this event? Because you never want to feel that you're the reason that no one is acting mm-hmm. the way they would at an event mm-hmm. because no one wants to. And, and just on a personal level, like we had talked about before, that everyone self medicates in their own mm-hmm. particular way. Now, I know for me, I go to events and we have parties, you know, and my girl does this all the time for me because she's helping me. My means of self-medication through the loss of my son, through the every tragedy I've been through, is through food. Oh. That is my self-medicating. Oh. And we'll go to an event and or we'll have a party and there'll be everything that I love. And the food I love more than any other food on the planet is pizza. It is my kryptonite. It is... <laughs> And I know that when a party is over and there's all my favorite pizza and there's breads, and I love it, my girl will make a point at the end of the party to go, hey, everyone grab a bag and everyone's taking food home. And I'm sitting in a chair going, No, they're not taking the pizza home. No, they're not taking the bread home. And she goes, they are taking the bread home, and they are taking the pizza home, because I cannot trust you to not wake up at 5 in the morning and raid the refrigerator and eat an entire pizza. So we have to know what our limitations are. We have to know where our strengths and our weaknesses are, like I said before. But you don't want to alienate, make someone feel that you're alienating them and everyone's looking at them and going, well, the reason I can't have a beer is because so-and-so is here. Right. So it's a great question, mm-hmm. but it's a fine line, and mm-hmm. it, it needs to be communicated on how that needs to be handled.
4: If, if I may as well. Yes, it, um Communication is like I needed to learn a lot of how I communicated um, a- across the board and, and and recognize that as well. And the phraseology, the body language, um, the subtle ways that um, I, I communicate to individuals in my life and in, in my family is so important. Again, for me, I had to look at it. It was like, OK, I have to make these changes, but this is going to make me a better person. I'm going to be able to do do more. I'm going to be able to communicate better, you know, because it is a family disease. I'm blessed to be able to do family support groups and family orientation. Orientation um, for our patients at the Lighthouse. And I, I talk to them all the time about, you know, your loved ones are, are creating a, a structure of peer-to-peer support and medical and spiritual help, and then can we create the same thing for you? You know, we have different 12-step fellowships for the loved ones, and then we we are blessed to be able to have a really robust family program that wants to say, hey, do you have any questions? You know, what's going on? And connect them to each other just, li- just like we do. And, and you know, that's the exciting part of it because you're right the families don't know you know they're, they're stepping on toes how do i communicate and a lot of that is sitting down just like you're saying and creating a new structure that we can go about communicating through boundaries are really really important what do they look like you know that's tough early for sure that's tough early but if it's authentic communication if it's real authentic communication it'll be felt and heard so
0: just to follow up bob that first those first days weeks months year you're going to be encountering lots of triggers Mm -hmm. as tony was talking about he's figured out a strategy for not falling into the trigger of eating unlimited pizza Mm -hmm. right so for you what was it what did you do to handle those triggers that inevitably you would encounter
4: that's a great question i began to recognize these feelings and emotions i had as triggers like you can hear the word triggers. Well, what does that really mean? So I began to recognize that, you know, um, most of my stuff was based upon fear, control some of these issues, you know. So I, I also, like I shared before, I had gained some weight because I was eating more, you know, um, and then to, to tell myself, okay, well, it's a lot better than what you were doing before and you're learning and growing and moving forward and you're going to get better. Um, but for me, it's, it's, it's expressing how I feel to my peers and to people that are helping me so that I can have a better understanding. And so, like, I may have this thing kept inside me that I think that I'm the only one in the world who's suffering from this, and yet other people are, are going through the same problem, you know? And so, you, in a lot of ways, you systematically begin the process of reevaluating how you think and, and what it means to you. Now, t- to me today, triggers and problems are opportunities for growth, mm. you know? And so where, for a long time, it was fear, but I had to recognize that I was a person that was fearful. I had been fearful my whole life. You know, I'm a big guy and all that. And I say, hey, you know, um, these are some of the things I struggle with. And that's okay because I'm a human being. Right. You know, again, I'm excited about the process. I'm not saying every day was great, but I'm, I was excited about the process. And here's the thing, like before is is once you get going on that motivation and you you surround yourself with people that are heading in the right direction you and you commit and are willing to do this, it just kind of happens. You like, don't have to think about – as a matter of fact, the fact of the matter is I used to try to plan my day every day. Now I get I get myself right in the morning through prayer and meditation. So I let the day come to me and I just handle the day. So instead of me trying to you know, dictate everything and control everything and then that would go out, off the rails, I would, I'm just like I'm going to get myself quiet. I'm going to get myself intentional about what I'm trying to accomplish that day. And then I go out and I freely live that day. So.
1: It's am- I love that. It's amazing and he said that because it literally is leading into a statement that I wanted to make prior to when he spoke. You have to worry about one of the biggest pitfalls that I believe people fall into is you have to be conscious mm-hmm. that you cannot create the perfect yeah. scenario mm-hmm. In this life. And what we try to do in helping people is to remove all of these triggers and to remove all of these things. And then people are like, okay, I can function here. Well, you're not functioning because this is not the real world. This is not reality. You need, and I'm not saying you need to throw someone into a pit, but you need to do exactly what he said, which is, to get right with yourself and realize that the world is not going to change its behavior Mm. for you that you Mm. have to be able to control your own behavior to function Mm. in the world Mm. and getting right with yourself and preparing yourself knowing that there are absolutely going to be all of these triggers That are going to come through every single day. And you don't live in a controlled environment. So you have to learn. I love when you said, I love the fact that you said that those triggers should not be looked at as something to be feared and something to be avoided, but something to grow from. Mm -hmm. And when you can get the mentality of knowing that that trigger is something that I'm going to learn to deal with. Push through, Mm -hmm. not go around, because that's the whole idea of self-medicating, is going around, but to recognize that trigger and go, I am going to find a way where I can go through that trigger and deal with that trigger, because that is... That is real life. That was so yeah, right. well said. Make, make so my glad peace. So that you said it. Right.
4: Right. Tony, make, make my peace with who I am as a human being. Yeah. You know, and then I begin to feel better about myself. And then I, you know, there's really nothing that can stop me. Yeah. You know, so um, if I'm not worried about the exterior, as you had shared, right, I'm not worried about the exterior. I'm just going to focus on me and, uh, and allow and allow, the, like you said, those feelings and emotions to flow through. They're going to come. They're going to. And I, like you said, I can't run from them. In my mind, I know it may sound crazy, but I had to make my peace, and there's gonna be things that are going to in my head that may not feel so good at times, but I understand that it's gonna be okay. you know what i mean and 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 the more I've got to know them, they've become friends.
2: Bob, yeah. you hear people say the best thing about that first year in recovery is you get to experience all these feelings and emotions and then on the flip side, they'll say the worst thing about that <laughs> first year in recovery is you get all these feelings and emotions. And I think that's what you're speaking yeah. to yeah. is, is learning, yeah. is learning what those things feel mm-hmm. like because mm-hmm. you've been numb for so long. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I love that. Triggers are opportunities. Pete, what is the
0: H O W of recovery? Honesty, open mindedness, and willingness. What a great way of putting it. The how of recovery.
3: So the how recovery, it's a a great way of sort of uh, summarizing some of the the principles that are really important Mm -hmm. in uh, early recovery. So first of all, the ability to be direct and honest with oneself, with the people around oneself. Be honest about, you know, what some of these triggers are going to be, what's going to be difficult, what's not going to be easy. Because, you know, recovery is not easy and early recovery is especially not easy. Mm -hmm. Open mindedness, being open to new things Uh, for many people in early recovery. A lot of what they're doing is new. So what Jay had said, the the new feelings that somebody's mm-hmm. experiencing, being willing to approach that and uh, understanding that, you know, sometimes that's going to be wonderful and sometimes that's not going to be wonderful. Sometimes that's going to be difficult mm-hmm. and that's OK. And the willingness to try new things. So the willingness to try, you know, I'm going to try having fun or socializing or, you know, something as simple as watching a game that maybe somebody always used to do under the influence to try that. In a different way.
1: Yeah, which was going to lead to a, a question, Bob, for you. It's where, because a lot of these questions are just being answered just <laughs> in the realm of the conversation. But were there any particular key lifestyle changes and habits, healthy habits, mm-hmm. that you personally developed in that first year of recovery that you think? Might be something that other people can relate to to share with
4: them, sure, one of the first things was uh self care which is exercise. I began to exercise, I began to take time out during the day for quiet time to to get myself you know where I needed to be began to develop a, as I said, I had gained some weight, so towards the end of the year, I began to develop a diet that worked for me. And some of these things that really helped me uh, create structure in my life. I had no structure in my life in my active use. Um And for me, a lot of it was when my kids went away to college, um they were what held me, held me together, if that makes any sense. And so when they were gone, it was like, you know, like all hell broke loose. So it was just, again, just, okay, let me get out there. Let me start exercising. Um, I never really did that before. I began riding a bike. I think mindfulness is really, really important. So to be able, I always had loved nature, reconnecting with the things that I loved before it got too bad. Right. I always loved nature. Um, So now I would get out, put my earbuds on and just go for a ride. And I'm blessed to live down there in, you know, uh, southern New Jersey, where there's tons of trails, you know, Um, and connection reconnecting. Right. It's a disease of isolation. And um, what we're trying to do as part of the Alumni Association is, again, uh, let me go back a little bit. It's a disease of disconnection. It's a disease of disconnection. So how do I what is the cure? Connection. Then if I, if it's okay, honestly, open-minded and willingness, if I'm honest, open-minded and willing, I ask my, my clients all the time, you know, am I being spiritual? Because they're the spiritual axioms. You know, so if I'm honest, if, if I come to a conversation with honesty, open-minded and willingness, and you do as well, we're going to have a spiritual conversation. Yeah. We're going to have a beautiful conversation. And that was a spiritual experience that I just, that's the essence of a spiritual experience. So I, I, so many things, you know, just looking, at the way I used to live and saying to myself, okay, everything's on the table now. Everything's on the table. I had a lot of preconceived, very hard, strong preconceived notions about what I thought as a human being that I don't believe anymore. I, I had it about people, if I'm honest with you, you know, um, so, so, and, and I realized that I'm excluding so many different people in my life and so many different experiences. And so I was able to get out there and experience them, you know, um, and like I said, going into the fellowships, learning, meeting new friends, you know, what I mean? and helping other people.
0: Yeah. Bob, you talk about this disease as being a disease of isolation. And Jay uh, and Bob, you both are uh, involved in the alumni mm-hmm. space And while there's family, there's friends, but certainly no one knows what you've been through and can support you
2: with that lived experience and someone who's gone through it. Right, Mm Jay? Absolutely. I think it's what we've tried to do is develop a network of peer-to-peer support because people don't just isolate from family, from themselves, but they isolate from feelings. They isolate from coworkers. They isolate from hobbies. And so what we want to do is just provide that connection. So let's take a group of alums um, and go bowling. Do you like bowling? I don't know. I've been numb for so long. I don't know if I like that or not. But when I do it with a group of people and I can have that fellowship, um, maybe it is something that really brings those positive emotions back into your life. And you start saying, okay, I can have fun in recovery. This isn't going to be so many times you're changing people, places, and things and and you feel like, well, this is going to be no fun at all. And we say, no, there's a whole new world out there. Right. And that's what the Alumni Association is about, is just connecting you with people, resources, fun in recovery, um, just whole new experiences.
0: Right. Pete, I guess that's really a part of the equation. we We've talked about medically assisted uh, treatments. We've talked about all the behavioral stuff. We've talked about family. But... It seems like this alumni network, that space that can be embracing, is really a very key and important part of the recovery process
3: you know I think fun in recovery is a great way to put it that so much of what we do uh, is so heavy it's so um, you know difficult at times it's so Mm -hmm. emotionally fraught and there's a reason for that this is a difficult disease and treatment is not easy recovery is not easy but for people to have that outlet where they can you know go bowling Mm -hmm. with people in recovery or go to a party or get together watch the game do something fun and do that with other members of the fellowship who are in recovery that's so important so critical and you know not establishing that and having it be something that's just heavy and that's just difficult I couldn't imagine living with only that, not Mm -hmm. having those fun times that we all look forward to. I mean, that's whether you're in recovery or not. These are the things that make up our lives and, you know, being able to support people and reestablishing and, and learning that and making that be the, the fun part of recovery and the fun part of their life is so important.
2: We've actually made that part of the clinical process. Mm -hmm. It's part of our Mm -hmm. care model. This isn't something just optional. Mm -hmm. This is what we really, I mean, obviously everything's optional, but it's something that we prioritized exactly and 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 we are gonna have you meet those alumni Mm. coordinators right when you walk into the door Mm. those first few days of treatment so you already have that established relationship so when Bob follows up with you after you leave treatment he's leveraging an actual relationship and you've sat in his groups you've gotten to know him you know he knows what he's talking about he's been where you are and so it's it becomes a very powerful continuum of care A piece of that continuum of care. Yeah. Yeah, Bob, so what has it
0: meant for you to, well, certainly be an alumni, but also to get the support of alumni?
4: Uh, it's fantastic um, because, again, I'm, I'm I'm amongst like-minded individuals, you know, who are striving for the same thing. And, you know, so now I'm the alumni coordinator. I was a member of the Alumni Association um, when I first left RCA. I was a, actually a patient there. I get so much joy and, quite frankly, inspiration from the alumni today. I'm, like Jay said, I'm blessed to do a lot of groups on Zoom and, and, and inpatient with the patients. So I get to – I'm inspired now. So – and that's the beauty of it. It's not like – I'm the leader and I have all this knowledge and I'm teaching you like down. I like the power dynamic to be equal, very, very equal, you know? And to be able to, for the patients when they're us with us, my greatest goal or want for them is for them to be inspired about their own personal recovery when they leave. So when I get to meet them, get to talk to them, and I love how you share that, Pete. It's not always about the book and this and that. Sometimes it's just about conversations. And I love talking to them. Like, I was saved. I, was sa- I can't express it any other way. Like, I was saved. People took time out of their lives to help me. And now I get to do the same thing. I consider myself in a continuum. It's just a long continuum. I don't know the people way back here were part of that continuum, and I won't know the people that were up here, but my role right now, what I can do today is do the next right thing to hope to keep it going. So,
1: Tony? We all celebrate certain events in mm-hmm. our life. I mean, we celebrate our birthdays, we celebrate mm-hmm. holidays. Is there anything that you, you personally do in particular to celebrate those milestones yeah. of your recovery? Is yeah. there a... A thing that you do, a place that you go. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything, you know, yeah. I, I would love to know what it is you do yeah. to a, celebrate. Well, that actually brings me to my next question. Bob and Tim, we all mark special times in our lives with celebrations because you had just mentioned celebrate. Is there anything that you you personally do in particular to celebrate those milestones yeah. of your recovery?
4: Thank you for asking that. The first thing I did for the first three years is give my coin to my family members because it's ours. It's ours, you know, Mm -hmm. so to my wife and to my children and then to to people uh, after that, people in, in the network. We worry about ego a lot. In recovery, right? Yeah. We really worry about ego a lot. So, like, I've done this. So, like, what my sponsor still me for a long time is when, so, so, I guess what I'm trying to say is, like, do I want to go up and get that coin? Is it my ego, right? And he said, you're doing that for to, to show someone that it can be done. It's not for you. It's to show another person in that room mm-hmm. that they can do it. Yeah, anyway. ego
1: is self-serving. E- so if it's not self-serving, yeah, yeah. then ego yeah. doesn't play a, a no, part no, in no. It. no. Right.
4: But the the whirling brain questions it, you know what I mean? But yeah, but then that, like I said, it, those coins represent my me and my family's sobriety, not just mine. So they get, to, they get to get them and share with that too. I work at the facility that saved my life. Can you imagine that, walking into the building every day that saved your life, walking into the rooms where you were once a patient and, and running? Every once in a while, I'm like, I can't believe I'm doing this you know it's like this is amazing you know and it's not just me tons of staff members um in RCA we really want to be able to get that peer to peer you know after of course after a certain amount of time we don't want to just throw them right into the mix but um it it is so powerful to say hey i what do you mean what are you talking about i'm like well i literally this is the room i've had conversations with people sitting in the bed that was my bed <laughs> you know and that's crazy right it's crazy to think but it's just beautiful you look back on it and then at first the first year seemed like it took forever but now they just kind of go you know what I mean and you're like I, I guess to answer your question that was, <laughs> is um, a lot of reflection on where I came from on the day you know on the day that I, that I celebrate you know it's been seven years now almost eight years is um, how far I've come and all the and how grateful I am you know I'm truly grateful to um to be alive man and then be a part of this like as opposed to just like you know wasting time you know so
0: so for all of you what would be the message to fellow people in recovery or those that you know that are in recovery for that first year Pete what would be your message
3: my message for people in the first year of recovery would be to make as many connections as possible, to not lose hope, and to continue moving forward. It's it's something that is absolutely possible. I think that's something that's been repeated here a lot is the, the possibility of it and the fact that um, it is something that is worth the work.
2: Jay? The Alumni Association is built on three pillars, succeed, belong, and serve. And I think that's really critical in that first year. We want to help you connect to a community that can help you succeed in your recovery, belong to a vibrant social community of like-minded people, and then ultimately serve others. So come back in our facilities. Find a place to be mm-hmm. of service. We have a whole volunteer program that takes our alums and puts them back into the facilities to serve and really mm-hmm. live out that 12th step. And So yeah. I would say succeed, belong, and serve others. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Bob? But-
4: um, don't give up. You know, don't give up, you're worth it. You know, you're truly worth it. Some of us are beaten down so much that they think they're not worth the effort, you know, or they think they, they can't, but you can. Anybody can. You know, I, I share it all the time, is like it it's it can just start right now. You know. So kinda of hang in there, like we had talked about about before, you're gonna have the highs and lows. Um, but that doesn't mean you're defective, you're just human. It it's a beautiful thing. Like and like like it was said, connect. If 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 anything, connect the people that can inspire you.
0: Pete, if people want more information about Recovery Centers of America, where do they go?
3: For more information, you can go to recoverycentersofamerica.com or call us 24-7 at 844-25-RECOVERY.
0: Thanks to all of you. Jay Roddenbush, Director of Alumni Engagement. Bob Weedby, Senior Alumni Coordinator and a person who's in recovery. And Pete Vernick. Vice President of Mental Health Services for Recovery Centers of America. I'm Lorraine Ballard-Morrell.
1: I'm Tony Luke Jr.
0: Thanks for having
1: us. Thank you so much. Thank you for
0: being here. It was our honor.